Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring Up the Podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Eric Rubottom is here with us. Eric, how are you holding up after that loss? Uh, not, you, you know, the loss is what it is. Iowa State's a tough team. Played them on the road. You know, honestly, we played poorly enough. We had no business being in that game, and we were in that game right down to the final buzzer. So, you know, you, I'll, I'll take it as a uh, certainly not a win, but, you know, it's nothing to be concerned about, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody else has won a Hilton yet either. So, they're tough. We'll get revenge in Manhattan. It'll be fine. That's but, right. Before we get back to the Big 12 gauntlet, though, Kansas State's got a home game this weekend against Florida. The Gators actually on a little bit of a roll right now, but we brought on Chris Dobertine. He's blogging the bracket writer and also a big Florida fan. Chris, how you doing? Hey, guys. I am doing all right after our uh, big win over South Carolina tonight. <laughs> yeah, South Carolina not doing so hot, but Florida looked good. I mean, they've got some dudes for sure. They do. The big issue for Florida has been the fact that the schedule is so backloaded. So they've gotten through really the easy section of the SEC schedule, you know, and looking back to non-conference, they've done a really good job. They've beaten the teams they need to beat. They've done it impressively in most cases. And now the real work begins. And I, you know, I'm kind of wondering how much the overscheduling that was probably done during non-conference, whether that's going to start paying off now. Because as you said, this team is on a roll. They seem to be figuring it out a lot better than they had during the first month and a half of the season in particular. You know, but can they do it against, you know, top five teams in Kansas State, Tennessee, and Alabama coming up? And then you throw in Kentucky, who's starting to, you know, hit their stride too. You know, with only one of those games being at home against the Volunteers next week, that's going to be the real test, I think. They're going to be lucky to get out of those one and three, I think. And I think that that'll be good because that'll set them up for when the schedule softens up again after the next two weeks. Yeah, and we might get into some of that. And we know K-State's got their front-loaded schedule. They're still kind of dealing with the Big 12. But yeah. first of all, I want to talk about you know the big storyline for this game, of course, is Keontae Johnson playing against his former team, I mean, I think, you know, Kansas State fans obviously loving what he's doing, but if there's another fan base that is enjoying his success just as much, it's got to be Florida fans, right? Very like. much so. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, I still remember that afternoon in Tallahassee. I was, you know, I was sitting here on the couch, and a couple minutes before he went down, he had this just amazing dunk. And at that moment, I thought, this is it. This is the team that's finally going to beat Florida State. And I think that it really can make some noise nationally. And then on Florida's next possession, he shot a three. And I looked at it at the end after he shot it. And something didn't look right. Something didn't look right. And then, you know, five seconds later, he's down on the court. So that has really kind of, you know, stuck with all of us. We had hoped that he would be able to come back to Florida and play, you know, for the Gators. Last year, that didn't happen. He wasn't cleared. Kansas State was, you know, good enough to clear him. And he's having the level of success that we always thought was possible. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun to see. It's kind of wild looking back. They actually finished that game, but then Florida canceled their yeah. next three games against three mid-majors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it wasn't – I don't know. How, how long was it until you knew that, like, he was going to, you know, survive? 
It was very, it was kind of similar to the Demar Hamlin situation. Though, to think about it, it took a little bit of time. I don't remember exactly. I think it might have been a day or two before we knew. It might have been longer at this point, but yeah, it was not one of those things where it was instantaneous. Where we got you know a nice quick update. It took some time, and that really I think is a big reason why they probably shouldn't have played that game. You know, to conclusion. And why they ended up taking all that time off. Because, I mean, I cannot imagine anything more emotionally draining than that. Right, right. And it was like the same thing as the Bills players, where teammates were just on the floor kind of crying. And I mean, understandably so. Yeah. Crazy, crazy situation. So what was, you know, your reaction to hearing he was going to transfer to Kansas State? And I, I don't know, I read a column today that was kind of saying that Florida just couldn't afford to take the risk. Because if something did happen, then they would look really bad and you agree with that or? i i yeah i think that that sounds right i think that there was probably a serious amount of you know reticence in the part of you know uf's doctors at the university athletic association and at chans and you know whoever was involved that they didn't want anything bad to happen on their watch after what had happened in tallahassee and i think that that really is kind of what drove it again there was a lot of talk in the off season before the 2021-22 season that he was going to get cleared. And that obviously didn't happen. And, you know, you think more about it, it just feels like it was something that, you know, it's kind of silly to put it in these terms, but I think about the Carlos Correa contract and physical business that's been going on in baseball. It really depends on the doctor's you know, what risks a university or an athletic department is willing to take or a team is willing to take on the professional ranks. And I think that's what it was. Florida was just not ready to do that. And I think he had to go somewhere else just to alleviate those risks a little bit. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, and of course, there's been speculation that we don't need to get into, but the family chose not to reveal the reason that it happened, right? So we still don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know we I know we don't know any details. I did also uh, I forget who published the article, but there was discussion about on his coming over to K State that actually Jerome Tang talked to him and is like, you know, I've seen this before. I've dealt with this before with Jared Butler and with King McClure down at Baylor. So who knows how relevant those cases are to Keontes, you know? And without being you know in the room and part of those conversations, there's a level of that that sounds comforting but there's also a level of that that almost comes across as a level of arrogance of like like have you really dealt with this before and you know it'd be nice to know some of those details just to kind of to smooth that stuff out but i I found it really interesting that that was like a connection point that jerome tang had with keontae and uh with tang's previous experience with this sort of thing yeah for sure and then you know i think and i don't know eric you may not agree with this but my expectations were you know keontae could Maybe get some postseason honors. He could, you know, be a decent player. But I don't know that I ever expected him to be a first-team All-Big 12 or Big 12 Player of the Year contender like he's been. You you know, taking time off like that. Uh, Just a little side story. (laughs) Against my better judgment, I decided to actually go play some basketball myself tonight, which was the first time I've touched the ball since before COVID. Um, (laughs) And it was a train wreck. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, I know an athlete like that is going to do what he can, you know, what, what he's cleared to do in order to stay in shape and that sort of thing. He just, you know, just talking to him. He loves the game way too much to, you know, just give it up like that. So to your point, though, you know, coming out of that, hey, if, if this guy can come in and, you know, just be a basketball player, 
you know, not even be a star. I think just for him to get back on the court and be a basketball player, I think was a huge win for him. I think it was a really good storyline. You know, I don't want to reduce it to that, but that's a really good storyline for him. That's a really good storyline for us with a new coach and everything like that. Seeing him come out and play, uh, you know, after having two years off and legitimately at an all big 12 level. Holy cow. Absolutely. So Chris, you know, based on what you've seen this year, Seems like obviously if you just evaluate him on talent, he's clearly a guy who could go pro and have a decent career at the next level. You know, is, is that the expectation now for a guy like that? Or I think it has to be. I mean, I really think that that's the main reason why he ended up coming back. I mean, you know, as Eric said, this was a guy, you know, when he left Florida, you know, his last game, he had gone into that season, you know, preseason SEC player of the year. You know, he comes back this year. You know, the first few games, I'm kind of wondering uh, what kind of level is he going to be at? You know, can he get to that level again? You know, and how quickly can it happen? And lo and behold, it's happened far more quickly than I think anybody ever expected. And I think it would be absolutely astonishing to me if he didn't end up, you know, having some kind of productive NBA career after this. Because the talent's definitely there. The desire is clearly there. Yeah, and speaking of the desire, I mean, just, just kind of speaks to how much he loves the game. Is if I'm not mistaken, by coming back, you know, if he hadn't done that, he was entitled to like a five million dollar insurance yeah. settlement or something, right? Yeah. yeah, he had an there was an insurance policy, and you know that's gone now at this point. Yeah, so well, we're we're sure glad that it's all working out for him here at Kansas State. So he he gets Florida and. You know, a lot has changed for the Gators. They've got a new coach, obviously. As far as I can tell, I think there are four players from that 2021 team. Yeah. And Colin Castleton, the, the Gators' leading scorer, really the only guy who's like a kind of a main player, right? Yeah, and Colin even said in the press conference after the game today that he still FaceTimes with Keontae. So that's going to be nice to see them get together on, on Saturday. Yeah, cool. I'm sure that will be an emotional moment. Before tip off, move on. To me, it really seems like though that you know that event really changed the trajectory of four programs, though, because you think about how Florida struggled the rest of that season. You know, getting into the NIT, Mike White ends up going to Georgia. You know, Keontae ends up going to Kansas State. You know, and then Todd Golden coming up from San Francisco, who promoted from within. So you've got, you know, just that moment, you know, you, you have to think as a Florida fan, you know, if Keontae had been able to stay healthy, what that team would have done. I thought that team was going to be, you know, lights out, protected seed, you know, minimum elite eight type team. And then you end up that season, you know, after going through all that, you know, in the NIT with an interim coach and... <laughs> Yeah, it's just been amazing what has, you know, been able to change, you know, among all those programs in that time. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of change, so let's talk about what's changed for Florida to get them going. seems like one of the things as they've went to Myron Jones in place of Trey Bonham at point guard, kind of went with a guy who maybe is not as much of an offensive threat, but... He's taking better care of the ball and, and just running the offense better. You know, is that all it is, or what, what else is there to, to turn around? Yeah, I think having you know Jones and Lofton in the backcourt really most of the time has done the most work. 
Jones has been probably one of the most frustrating players that I've ever <laughs> ever seen in a Florida uniform. Just because when he came in from Penn State, I mean, this was a lights out three point shooter, and it seemed like he just like the Monstars came and took his three point shooting ability away for the you know the first you know two seasons he was you know in Gainesville. Now he's starting to get that back a little bit. It's still inconsistent, of course. The whole the team's shooting and you know forget about what happened against South Carolina today because it's South Carolina, but the whole team's shooting has just been kind of mediocre. They've kind of been succeeding in spite of it. <laughs> the defense has been really, you know, kind of what's been driving things. This is a pretty good transition team. You know, they're able to get steals. They're able to get stops. They're able to get good rebounds, run transition, use that defense to build their offense. And that was something they were really able to do tonight against South Carolina, who didn't really, you know, put much of a fight outside of the first half. Mississippi State on Saturday was a different game just because Mississippi State, kind of like Texas A&M, is one of those teams that's going to absolutely drive you bonkers defensively. And they got some shots in the first half. Second half went cold, as tends to be the case. You know, they have one good half, one bad half. And they just had to hold on for dear life to get that win, which ends up being their first quad one win of the year. Not that it's going to make much difference because you know, unless Mississippi State ends up pulling this game out against Alabama, <laughs> they might not be in that category anymore. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the defense, and so that's something that really stands out in the Ken Palm, and the gap's even bigger than it was before the South Carolina game. Yeah. They're 120th in offense and 13th nationally in defense. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. kind of crazy. But I guess uh, it, I yeah. mean, a big part of that is Colin Castleton in the middle. He's leading the SEC in blocks per game. Yeah. Just like, you know, we talked about Texas Tech had a big 12 block leader on last week's podcast. You know, how much is he the focal point of this defense? Yeah, and that, and that was really kind of one of the big things that we and Gaines were worried about heading into the season because, you know, he's kind of there by himself. You have Jatobo. Fudge is kind of more of a four, and of course he was out today with a concussion. I guess they're saying that he's going to be back on Saturday. You know, Johnny Broom was kind of a big target, you know, in the transfer portal, and he ends up going to Auburn over Florida. And at that point, you know, it's so late in the game, you can't get another center in there. So Golden ends up getting, you know, a kid from Germany who played for like five minutes today, who's not going to really have much impact until next season, probably. It's amazing to me that they've been able to do as much defensively with really only having Castleton there. I mean, Jatobo has his moments, but he's not somebody who's going to be able to give you, you know, 15 or 20 minutes a game. His presence really kind of changes things. He's not as, you know, he has really good hands. If he can get close to the basket, you know, he's, you know, his layups, you know, his hook shots are going to get in, but that's not going to happen all that frequently. He's not the offensive threat that Castleton is. And then defensively, he's prone to fouling. I mean, he, you know, had four fouls and four points at, you know, one point midway through the second or second half today. So, you know, the fact that they've really kind of been able to do with a limited, you know, interior presence is what's even more amazing to me and speaks of, you know, the hustle and the work that, you know, the guards and the forwards have put together elsewhere in the half court. Mm-hmm. So, Eric, you know, knowing that it's another good defensive team we're facing and I guess it's had their struggles offensively the last couple of games. You know, Texas Tech they got it together enough late, but 
obviously in Ames. Although, I mean, they shot a decent percentage. It was more the turnovers and the, and the free throw shooting that killed them that game. So what does the offense have to do to get back on track? They got to start running some offense, to be honest with you. You know, seeing a lot of when things start to get tough, you know, seeing a lot of pressure from the defense, they're having a tendency to revert into some one-on-one basketball and not really moving the ball as well as they should. You know, some people probably heard me talk about getting the ball to the third side of the floor. You know, we bring the basketball up and especially against better defensive teams, it just seems like we get the ball to one half of the floor. And if we get it to the other half of the floor, you know, that's a rarity. And then bringing it back, you know, from that back to what I call the third side of the third half of the floor back to that other side and really just get the defense stretched out and engaged is how you break that stuff down. We're just not doing it. We're getting the ball into some playmakers hands. I mean, Keontae's a playmaker. Noel's a playmaker. Desi Sills is a playmaker. But we're basically putting the ball in their hands and saying, go to work instead of finding some, you know, really some offensive theme, I guess. You know, you get in, you sure those guys can penetrate and kick out to an open ish or something like that who by the way shout out to ish dude is on fire right now (laughs) he's up over 50 percent from three for the season so yeah ish is swish i'll tell you what (laughs) but anyways getting back to your question we got to move the ball better against the pressure and not let the ball stick to one half of the court so easy to guard a basketball team if you only have to play half the floor yeah yeah so chris i mean right now the way ksa is playing offense you just got to be able to stop the slashing guards and then close out on threes so how does florida do in those two aspects i think they do all right you know they like i said they really love to force turnovers they do tend to allow the three a little bit more i think that they'd like and i think that that's going to be a real challenge against kansas state that's kind of really the one flaw in the defense is it just really allows the perimeter guys to beat them so i think that's going to be one thing that coach golden's really going to have to work on over the next couple of days mm-hmm. that'll be something to watch for so all right, well, let's switch over to the Florida offense. First, we'll take a quick commercial break. We're back. So, Chris, I mean, things start with Colin Castleton. Is he a guy that's going to be mostly playing around the rim, or how much does he step out, you know, as far as his offensive game? They've been trying to get him to step out a little bit more. He's actually, you know, taken some threes this year. He's made two, the first two that he's made in his career, but he's still 2 of 13, so that's not really <laughs> anything great. But – he has gotten so much better in terms of not only, you know, being able to score and, you know, make some ridiculous shots at the basket, but he's actually been able to get a little bit more mid-range game going. It's still not his strong suit, but it's something to kind of keep an eye on. Otherwise, it's just kind of a question of, you know, which guys are going to decide to be hot and which guys aren't. You've got guys like, yeah. you know, Riley Kugel, who's a freshman who I think is going to be you know, a supernova-type player, maybe not necessarily as this year goes on, but definitely next season. I mean, he's got that potential. Kowasi Reeves, who controversially didn't play much <laughs> during the Phil Nine Invitational, which was kind of like, uh, you know, what are you doing here? You kind of had to recruit this guy, and he was really kind of the, you know, other than Cassim and the top returnee that, you know, Florida had. Why aren't you playing him? And Golden said that that was just his fault for, you know, not doing the rotations correctly. He's gotten a lot more playing time. He's another guy who can go off. I mean, he's shooting 30% from three. Kugel's shooting 40% from three. So he's kind of the guy you got to keep an eye on. Kyle Lofton's numbers aren't so great in total, but he's really come into his own as conference play has started. 
you know, that's the, you know, he's really become the senior leader that, you know, Todd Golden thought he was going to get when he brought him in from St. Bonaventure. I mean, he really does a great job running the offense, really makes good decisions with the ball, really capable of slashing getting into the basket too. So it's another guy. And then you got, you know, Will Richard and Alex Fudge, who are very capable guys who are also very young, who will make a lot of mistakes. So it's just really a matter of which guys, which combination of which guys show up on Saturday in terms of how that offense is going to go. But you talk about ball movement. That's the one thing to me that has really stood out, especially over the past, you know, five or six games or so. The ball movement, the sets, the cuts, everything. I mean, there are so many possessions that are just like close to my ideal offensive possession. Just about half the time, though, they end up in a brick. So the shooting might not be there, but the ball movement is definitely there. And if this team could ever get those baskets to fall against teams that are not South Carolina or not Stetson, not Stony Brook, watch out. Yeah. Well, Eric, when we talk about Kansas State's defense getting stops, we have to talk about the defensive rebounding. I think they've got the worst percentage in the Big 12 and really a big issue against Iowa State. How do you get that corrected? Oh, how do you get that corrected? That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, You know, Jerome Tang gets paid a hell of a lot more than I do, and uh, he hasn't quite gotten there yet. So, you know, I think it's Keontae rebounds, and then everybody else just, if the ball comes to them, they rebound, and that's about it, if that makes sense. Players like Naquan just have to, they've got to take it seriously at the end of the day. You know, giving up nine offensive rebounds is an issue. To be honest with you, like, I have never seen rebounding that poor as we did against Iowa State. I mean, you've got Naquan with zero rebounds. Bebe, zero rebounds. Ish Masood, zero rebounds. We had 20 (laughs) defensive rebounds for the entire freaking game, and Keontae had half of them. That being said, Iowa State shot almost 60% from the floor for the game, which really limits your defensive rebounding opportunities. But still, like at a point, like if I was coaching this team, like this is a manhood question at this point. This is like you're challenging people. This is not a like rebounding is about effort and about heart. Go get the ball, take it seriously. (laughs) So, Chris, is that a weakness that Florida could take advantage of, you think? (laughs) Uh, I think that 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 Florida's offensive struggles could be a way for Kansas State to kind of get back on track, you know, in terms of getting defensive rebounds. But yeah, that is something that that Florida could very well exploit. But I think that, again, it's a double-edged sword. That's one thing that Florida is really, really weak on is that rebounding front. And it might end up being a a get-right game for K-State on that front. Okay. Well, that's that's good to hear. So well, I guess before we talk about K-State's tournament hopes, I mean, this one is obviously K-State's in the tournament right now. And good. And so like, there is kind of a tendency to look and say, oh, this isn't a big 12 game. It's not as important. But Florida is kind of in a different position where they can't really afford any more. They got to take every chance they can get. Right. I mean, what are their tournament hopes looking like right now? <laughs> I really think that, you know, the next four games are going to be really important because that's the bulk of what they have left. I mean, they have those four games, then it's Vandy and Ole Miss at home, which are two games they should win. Arkansas on the road, and who knows, you know, with the Razorbacks, you know, how that's going to end up being. And then they get Kentucky, you know, back at home, 
Usually that is the last game of the regular season, but not this year. This year, there are three to follow, two really tricky road trips, Vandy, Georgia, and then they finish with LSU at home. But after that Kentucky game, they're really out of opportunities to get, you know, a quad one win until the SEC tournament, potentially. So they really have to, <laughs> you know, I say that one and three seems like the best case scenario for this stretch. They kind of got to go two and two or three and one. Otherwise, all that improvement they made in terms of the metrics and their on-court performance is not going to show up on the resume because they're not going to have those quad one wins. They need to get through, and they're going to be in a bad position heading into the SEC tournament. Yeah. So K-State obviously does not have the issue of finding opportunities for quad one wins. Lots of those in the Big 12. So far, they've done <laughs> pretty well. Well enough yeah. to get one of the one seeds in your bracket that you put out before the Iowa State game. And I know you're planning to talk a lot more about one seeds on Friday, which I don't know, might be about the time this podcast comes out. But, you know, does Kansas State still get one of those one seeds right now? Or Right now, I would, put the, I would drop them back down to a two. But it really feels like that this year, just because, you know, when I look at selection – you know, I look at all the teams out there and I analyze everything from the top all the way down to the bubble. And you look at Ken Palm, you look at Ken Palm and compare it to previous seasons. This year is a mess. It's really hard to just name a team that seems like it's going to be capable of, you know, running the table, winning six games in March and April to win the title. You know, and every time it seems like you are ready to nominate such a team like UConn back in November and December, Houston, (laughs) Alabama (laughs) right now, Purdue, Gonzaga, all those teams have fallen off. So I'm at the point where I'm, you know, starting to write this one seed post this afternoon. And it's like, there's like 16 teams here still. (laughs) That's how wide open it is. I mean, you really, at this point, you know, with the quality in the big 12, yeah. As long as everybody doesn't, you know, beat up on each other over the final six weeks of the regular season, if one or two teams can kind of stand above the rest, they're going to be in great position to end up making it. But right now, there's just, you know, half the league is in that position. I mean, I think the Big 12 regular season winner should get number one seed. No yeah, I think that's I think that's really is. I don't think that's going to there's going to be any doubt at all on that front. But otherwise, I mean, it's like you have four conferences that really only have one contender at this point. Purdue, because all the rest of the Big Ten is down at this point, other than Rutgers, is wearing an away jersey in the first round of the projected bracket. Because they're just, you know, playing miserably. Virginia in the ACC, because, you know, North Carolina and Duke have not played the potential. Miami didn't play a great non-conference, so they're a little bit, you know, out of the race. You have three, you know, Big East teams at this point, though, honestly, UConn has fallen off the face of the earth as much as they, you know, tried to come back against Xavier tonight. <laughs> but, you know, Xavier and Marquette, you know, they're the teams with the vibes right now out of that league. UCLA, Arizona, of course, the issue with them is, is, you know, Arizona has the non-conference results. UCLA doesn't. So it's going to be interesting to see which one of those teams ends up winning the Pac-12 tournament and probably getting the nod there. Gonzaga, you know, lose to Loyola Marymount, but you can't 
discount them just because of the wins that they have, you know, from non-conference. And I remember, you know, going back and, you know, Gonzaga people were like, well, I don't think that, you know, this team is going to be able to have the opportunities, you know, to get there. And, you know, they've beaten Alabama, they've beaten Xavier, which is becoming a much better win. You know, they're going to get two games against St. Mary's, which is, you know, a top 15 net result potentially there. So they're going to have the opportunity to kind of stay in the hunt. And then in the SEC, you've got Alabama and Tennessee. So it really is quite an interesting, you know, race as you head into the final six weeks of the season. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned Ken Palm, and you, you might have guessed that some of us Kansas State fans are not big fans of Ken Palm right now. He's got Kansas State down at number 26, which seems yes. feels really low. And, you know, a lot of the computers not big fans of Kansas State right now. They're 17 in net rankings, and then some of the others, they're, they're pretty low too. So, I mean, you have a better grasp on that stuff than I do. Is that just still the non-conference schedule dragging them down, or like all the close wins playing a factor? What am I yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, net really is going to punish you for close wins as opposed to even though margin of victory is capped, winning by fifteen is still better than winning by a bucket. So that's going to be one thing. Non-conference schedule is again another thing that it kind of weighs heavily. Even though looking, you know, you looking at their average net wins and losses, it's not. That bad, an average net win at 139 isn't awful. So, you know, I think that they're going to end up getting better on that front as the Big 12 schedule kind of, you know, takes over those metrics. The result-based metrics love Kansas State. I mean, uh, as well they should with a 17-3 and record. So I think that you know, the net is really bothering me at this point just because I go in there, you know, as I'm putting together a bracket on a you know Sunday night, Monday afternoon, whatever, I'm looking at it, and there is just such a gap between the net ranking and selection sheets and reality. And I still think that, you know, this metric being as new as it is still needs probably some tweaking to be more accurate, but it really, I mean, I kind of think about it this way. I wrote a post on Friday about tournament expansion. And how it seems that, you know, going to 80 might be the way to go. Because if you look at Ken Palm and you look at the net, you always, you know, since we've expanded, since we've gone to the net, so really we got, you know, what, three years of data to look at now. There's always one team that doesn't seem to fit the at-large profile that ends up, you know, being like 75th in Ken Palm or 75th in the net, you know, it was Rutgers last year, Arizona State a couple years before that. You take a look at those teams and the teams that are around them, and you're going to end up, that's where you're going to get the rest of your at-large teams from the field of 80, and that's a whole bunch of teams that are going to be capable of, you know, either getting knocked out, you know, in the first four or the preliminary round, as I had it, or, you know, going all the way to the Sweet 16 to the Final Four like UCLA did. So, yeah, I, I, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense right now how it, it's not clear to me how much the net really is, how much the committee is paying attention to it. Again, we'll have to see when they do their preview, probably in a couple of weeks, you know, as we get four weeks out to see, you know, what they're valuing the most as always. 
and to me, it still seems like constantly it's the quality wins. And I think that that's really is what's going to help teams like Kansas State is because you're going to have so many opportunities in the Big 12. If you take advantage of them, it doesn't matter what the computers are saying. If you win, you know, 10 or 12 quad one games, you're going to be, you know, a one or a two seed, you know, no doubt. And so, you know, next Tuesday, Eric K. State's, of course, got the dreaded trip to Allen Fieldhouse, although not so scary anymore the way they're playing right now. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But then, that's it as far as the most difficult Big 12 road games. You know, after that, K-State gets the clear four bottom teams in the Big 12 tech, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and West Virginia on the road. Now, I'm not saying those are gimmies. Some of those, those could be tough for sure. But, you know, knowing that, and then, you know, you've got some tough home games against TCU in Texas and Iowa State. But, kind of, you know, what are the expectations the rest of the way? Uh, how far could this team go? That's a great question. I don't know. I mean, everybody's expectations are so shattered at this point. Anyways, it's hard <laughs> yeah. to it, it's hard to it, it's hard to even you know accurately regauge those expectations to any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's it's a fun ride. That's about all I can say right now. You know, we played so many close games and we've won all of them until you know against Iowa State. Part of me sits there and says, "Hey, we're you know we're a good team because we're beating good teams." Right. And then there's the other part of it that's like, well, I mean, three of those games have gone to overtime and, you know, it's, we're skating by by the skin of our teeth and all this stuff, which a bounce of the ball the other way can change the outcomes of those games. So it's hard to sit there, you know, at uh, what are we now, six and two um, yeah. in the conference. It's really hard to sit there with 10 games left in the conference slate and say, OK, the expectations should be we're going to go eight and two over those last 10 games or, the, or that sort of thing expectations for me is that we're going to be competitive for a big 12 championship for the rest of the season. But what that looks like when and loss wise, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. If you got, I if you it. got that crystal ball, get on, yeah. get on, yeah. get on draft games, man. Go, it would be really cool to, to see in case they could, you know, close out an unbeaten home slate. That'd be, that's That'd my, be awesome. you know, even if they go like two and three on the road, I think I'd, I'd rather do that for a seven and three the rest of the way, you know? And, and, you know, to be honest with you, we talk about that in, you know, even more marginal years, like the key to having a successful conference slate is just take care of your games at home. You're going to lose games on the road in the meat grinder. That is the big 12 this year. You're going to lose games. It's that simple. I highly doubt we're looking at a two loss big 12 champion. I think we're looking at a four loss big 12 champion, maybe even a five loss big 12 champion. People are going to get beat up over the next 10 games. Just, Take care of your games at home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And next game at home is, you know, the one against Florida we talked about. Chris, we probably got to be wrapping up here pretty soon. You want to give us a prediction for Saturday? I think this feels like it's going to be one of those closely fought, but in the case of Florida, a disappointing night. I think it's, you know, Ken Palm prediction is four points. I think that's probably about right. I think it's probably going to end up being about, you know, 68-64 in favor of K-State. Okay. Well, what do you think, Eric? I know you're not going to pick K-State to lose this one, but can they, you know, pull away and and get a double-digit win this weekend? You know, I think they can. Uh, You know, I think the key is for me is going to be we got to correct some of the things that we saw against Iowa State. We got to value the ball a little bit more. Just the really stupid turnovers that we had against Iowa State. Got to cut down on that. We got to do what we can to try to neutralize Castleton. You know, we've talked about this before. A good big guy can expose some weakness on our end. So we got to do what we can to neutralize that. I think if we can take care of those two things, I think we're going to be in really good shape. 
you know, being a home game, coming off this loss here, I see us getting out and trying to run the floor a little bit and, and get this one up in the upper 70s. Speaking of defending Kessler, what do you make of the fact that Gasson played four minutes against Texas Tech and then didn't play at all against Iowa State? So the story is, is we're easing him back in, you know, with, with the foot injury or ankle injury or whatever he had and the fact that we mm-hmm. – I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to have another big guy. We've been pretty successful without him on the floor. I think we actually do have a little bit of luxury to ease him back in. I would rather, you know, really limit his minutes now, make sure that he's feeling good and put him in there and just get some game time, some game speed, that sort of thing, and not expect much more than that. So Um, from that perspective, the theory would be that, like, the Iowa State game was maybe a little too high intensity to put him in there at all. And some, 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 you know, they the uh, with uh, 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 what's his name, big guy in the middle for Iowa State. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. With their big guy in the middle, I, I think you know, throw Naquan at him, throw Bebe at him. You know, mm-hmm. let's not over pressure. You know what we're trying to get out of Gasson. I'd rather Gasson be effective six games from now. Mm-hmm. Then Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be nice to see him get some minutes, but if he doesn't, he doesn't. That's fine. And I'm hoping that Iowa State takes that same approach with Caleb Grill, so they don't play him at Missouri. So maybe Mizzou could. I think he got an upset win there. But well, I, if I, we'll you see. know, if I was a Mizzou <laughs> fan right now, I just wouldn't want Caleb Grill to play against me, so I didn't have any of my players undercut and hurt. <laughs> yeah, but that's just me. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, we should probably. That you go. You know, people can uh, check out your stuff at bloggythebracket.com. Like you said, you'll have an update Friday on Twitter at Chris Dobertine. Anything else you want to promote? Nope. We'll have college basketball coast-to-coast uh, podcast I do with TJ Reeves, who is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers sideline reporter. That usually comes out on Tuesdays, and we'll be doing more of those as the season goes along all the way through Selection Sunday into April. When do you start doing your, your daily bracketology? That's sometime in February, right? That, well, yeah, daily won't come until we actually get there. This Friday post is kind of the last one before we get to two a week where we do okay. the full bracket Tuesday, and then the Friday bracket is really kind of a quasi-bracket looking at locks and who's on the bubble and all that fun stuff. Okay, okay, sounds good. Well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. I'll thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Thanks, Eric. So, yep. yeah. I've got